0: To Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Carolyn DeRosier. Today,
1: we are revisiting a topic we first told you about last year, our many recreational trails that connect our communities throughout the Fox Valley Region. Did you know that the urbanized areas of Calumet, Outagamie, and Winnebago counties have more than 340 miles of trails with an additional 1,294 miles of
0: sidewalks? Wow. Well, who uses these trails and are they accessible to all? And what should we be thinking about when it comes to making improvements so that more people can enjoy all that our communities have to offer? Well, there are a number of trail projects coming up soon, so we're going to update you in a little bit about what's next. But we're going to start with a few programs in our area that are already making a difference for people who might otherwise not have the ability to access these trails.
1: An initiative called Make the Ride Happen, a program of Lutheran Social Services, and Cycling Without Age just introduced a unique ride on board something called a Tri-Shaw. Picture it as a rickshaw on wheels. We caught up with Cheryl Zadrasil, who explains more.
2: I think that it brings the community to them. And Make the Right Happen Cycling Without Age is developing pretty dramatically here in the area. And what they're able to do is provide rides for people in nursing homes so they can call us and we'll show up and take their residents out for rides. We can also go to events. Um, A lot of the park and recs we've um, worked with, the most recent one, was at the Nelson Family Crossing um, where uh, we were able to provide rides for people who've never would have had that opportunity to really travel that trail, or um, Loop the Little Lakes is another option, which is what we're doing here today. I'm 82 years old and I'm enjoying life yet.
0: <laughs> Eileen Rutten is taking a ride in the open air, something many seniors don't always get to do. That's
2: nice, and you don't have to do the pedaling because otherwise you get sore legs. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> We caught up with Eileen as she and her friend Colleen were arriving back to the Menasha Senior Center. They'd spent a drizzly morning last week taking in the fall colors from their two-seater trishaw, piloted by Michelle Bacchus. My name
3: is Michelle Bacchus. I work for the Wisconsin Bike Fed here out of the Fox Valley. Last week, we had some fall color rides in Menasha at the Senior Center. And oh, it's just beautiful colors. We were down by Loop the Lake and took passengers across the trestles. The leaves were changing and the air was crisp and people just really enjoyed being out there and being part of the community.
2: Oh, I'd love to do this again. This is fun.
3: A a tri-shop for the Cycling Without Age program is a three-wheeled pedal bicycle or a tri Sickle. So between those two wheels in the front is a bench seat, kind of like a couch. And then the pilot sits up higher and behind them on the back. It really helps well-being um, by getting people out who normally just spend their day in their room. It reduces isolation and improves connectivity to the community. Cycling without age makes the trails in the Fox City so inclusive. It's really been a blessing and a fantastic part of the program to see people who used to play in these fields or used to play along the edge of the water and they can't access it anymore because of mobility issues. Now they can. An important part of what we're doing is to help those who are underrepresented really feel like they're part of the community. You can't find a better way to feel like you're part of something than if you're out there just immersing yourself in it. And that's really what the trishaws do. Just about anybody can ride on a trishaw. We, in the Fox Valley, we serve people who are aging, who can no longer pedal their own bikes, uh, but miss the feeling of wind in their hair and sun on their faces. We also provide trishaw rides to people with differing abilities who aren't able to pedal their own bikes. Um, and family members go right along, either in the trishaw with their loved one or riding their bikes alongside of us. All of our pilots are volunteers. Most facilities who have trishaws have 25 to 100 volunteer pilots that kind of rotate through based on their availability. A lot of communities have trailside hubs where they'll start at the assisted living facility and just go down the trail and back. Others go to destinations. They're community-based programs so they can use these tri-shaws to take people to the park, to visit a friend, to the pharmacy or grocery store. And then they're just using public roadways. You know, it's typically not me talking and telling stories, but it's typically the passengers talking and telling stories. (laughs) People don't have opportunity to leave their rooms unless somebody takes them. So I had one person who was a military veteran from Pearl Harbor. And he just shared his stories and he'd smile, and he was so proud. And we looped back around and he knew it was time to be dropped off. And he looked at me, and he told me in his military voice, he's like
0: Michelle, you keep
3: going. We're we're not stopping." So I made another loop.
0: <laughs> one thing that's been on the wish list: more accessibility to trails in the wintertime. time. Um, sometimes uh, the
3: the assisted living facilities who own their own trishaws, they will pedal the trishaws in the winter inside. So they'll go down one hall and make a loop. And then they'll go down another hall in the adjacent building and make a loop and just keep peddling people around because they see such a positive impact. One of the things that I'd really like to see us do more of in the Fox Valley is have our trails plowed because this program doesn't have to end. Those beautiful winter days when the sun is shining, we've got a a blanket on the tri-shaw and it really helps. It really Makes people happy, I guess. I don't. It increases. It improves their spirit. I mean, it just wakens their spirit up, and they they just absolutely, absolutely
0: love it. Colleen Walsh of Menasha would have to agree.
2: Eileen, sitting next to me, told me about it, and it sounded like a, a fun thing to do. We, we're friends. Uh, we met here at the senior center, so we have a good time together. When can we do it again? <laughs> <laughs>
3: The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region is a great resource for making a local impact while simplifying your charitable giving through a tax-deductible charitable fund. Perhaps you're passionate about certain organizations or want to support causes such as education or pets at the animal shelter, or you're interested in addressing the greatest needs of the community. When you partner with us, we'll share our local knowledge so that you can make a difference today and always. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org.
1: Next, we take you up the road to Heckrout Wetland Reserve, where recent construction projects have opened up new possibilities for people with challenges of any kind, from financial to physical, with a learning opportunity
0: in the trees. Yes, because as Heckrout's Chris Langenfeld and Soar Fox Valley's Aaron Schultz explain, environmental literacy should be available to everyone.
4: We're striving to be inclusive simply because it makes sense.
1: What HECROT's done for SOAR participants is created that opportunity. I mean, we have taken youth out, we've taken adults
4: out. We're always looking for the populations that maybe people aren't thinking about, um, that aren't included simply because they're not thought of. So once we start thinking of them and think about HECROT and what we have the ability to do and accomplish here at our facility and purposely expand that like we did reaching out to SOAR, um, that's when it gets really exciting. That's when the dreams start happening because you're just asking people, what would you like to do? And let them fill in the blank and then we service their needs. It's it's incredible.
1: People living with a disability don't always have the same access that other individuals do and other people do. Like this partnership with HECROT is amazing because HECROT is fully accessible. So our participants, youth and adults are able to get out, get into nature and reap the same benefits that we all do so we are going to become experts on the critters that
2: live beneath our feet i'm janelle jung i'm around 23 years old and i love hedrick because i get to see how many different animals there are here you go janelle so this looks like a worm, but with many, 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 many legs. Can I see? Yeah, it's That's a millipede. It is
0: exactly right. It is a millipede. Nice job.
2: Nice. My parents first got me in Green Bay, but before they could take me home, I had to go to the hospital because um, I had some sort of a seizure, but, but after a while, they were able to bring me home. My name is John Jung. I'm a father to Janelle Jung. I think it helps her a lot, just getting outside and enjoying nature. So we are going to go on a critter scavenger hunt. It looks like it has legs. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yep. I think you're right. Thanks. Awesome, fine. I'm really good with animals. I just have this magic touch that makes them feel calm. And I know that's not like in any other disabilities, but like if it's a snake or a, a bug or another dog, I'm still able to calm them down quite easily. That's a really good gift to have. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah.
0: And um what is it about going out on the trails? What do you what do you like to see when you're out here?
2: All the different color leaves, deer and maybe a few turtles or frogs. You know, Diversity is also ability. And for individuals living with a
1: disability, having access to nature is beyond important. are so many ways people are getting involved in these projects, from generous donors who are supporting these projects financially to the local leaders and environmentalists who are rolling up their sleeves to talk about the best way to improve trails in the
0: Fox Valley. That's right. We recently announced a $2 million grant from the David L. and Rita E. Nelson Family Fund to create the new Nelson Family Fund for a Trail to Cliff State Park. Now this new fund will support the creation of a pedestrian and bicycle trail connecting the Fox Valley to High Cliff, as well as all the collaborative work with local municipalities and agencies to complete key trail sections to connect the existing patchwork of trails for a safe route. High Cliff is just one of many new projects in the works. Yes, Amy, and that project actually came out of the Fox
1: Cities Trail Summit we sponsored uh, a couple years ago through our Community Vision Fund, formerly called the Bright Idea Fund, which was hosted by Fox Cities Greenways and the East Central Wisconsin Regional Planning Commission. We encouraged the community who was at that summit to dream big, and dream they did. We'll put links and maps on our website so you can see all the
0: projects that are being planned. You know, it's one thing to have a beautiful network of trails, but if not everyone can access them or feels unwelcome when they do, we have a problem. That's why this time last year, we sat down with someone who spoke at the trail summit, Jason Brozick, the Stephen Edwards Scarf Professor of International Affairs and Associate Professor of Government at Lawrence University. And we talked with him about environmental justice and transportation equity. That's
1: right, Amy. And after we revisit this segment, I'm super excited to tell our listeners how the Community Foundation is helping to continue the conversation and move to action around the topic of inclusion in the outdoors. Here's what Jason had to say. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
4: Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be
1: here. Yeah, we're excited to talk with you. We'd love to just start with having you introduce yourself, um, your role at Lawrence University, and just tell us a little bit more about how you're involved in cycling and
4: trails in the Fox Cities. Sure, thanks. Um, So I'm Jason Brozek, and I've been teaching at Lawrence since 2008, um, and really cycling for a lot longer than that, um, and, and involved in cycling as a rider, as a commuter, as a parent, as an advocate. Um, I've gotten more involved in that advocacy role um, over the last few years. Uh, I've joined the uh, the Outagamie County Greenway Implementation Committee. Um, which advises on connections between communities at a county level and tries to coordinate some of that work so that there's not standalone pieces of the Fox Valley. Um, And I've also joined the the City of Appleton's Bike and Pedestrian Advisory Committee, working with both the the Transportation Director and the Parks and Recreation Director, just as a a citizen advocate and a a voice for um, bike and pedestrian projects and safety and infrastructure in the Fox Valley.
1: Well I want to ask you about um, something the Community Foundation supported that happened a while ago um, but important topics to touch on. So in in early 2020 the Community Foundation's Bright Idea Fund supported a Fox Cities Trail Summit. It was a one-day event that brought together leaders from municipalities, environmental organizations, and just advocates with a goal of improving the trail system. And um, I had the opportunity to be there that day and to hear you speak at the summit, Jason, and you talked about transportation equity and environmental justice. You know, what are these concepts and why should we be thinking about them when we're thinking about trails?
4: So environmental justice and transportation equity, uh, these are really, uh, they're long-standing interests of mine. In the short version is that when we think about environmental issues or transportation issues, they're not just about the environment and they're not just about moving from place to place. They're connected to equity, they're connected to race, to civil rights in ways that we can't and shouldn't even want to try disentangling. The basic idea of environmental justice is that justice is a redress for injustice. Uh, There are some groups that are systematically excluded from power and excluded from decision-making, excluded because of uh, race, because of gender, because of class, LGBTQ status, um, and more. But there are choices that are being made about environmental resources, about where to provide environmental resources like parks and bike paths and bike lanes, uh, about where to locate things like garbage dumps and incinerators, right? But when those decisions are made, the people who are systematically excluded from the levers of power are not consulted. They don't have a voice in the process. And so what it leads to is that environmental injustice or environmental racism is the this idea that the greatest harm and the fewest benefits systematically goes to those who are already vulnerable and already marginalized. We have a better and richer understanding of environmental issues and transportation issues when we understand how deeply connected they are to issues of race and and marginalization and systemic exclusion and oppression.
1: Mm -hmm. I like that way of thinking about it. These things are connected and we shouldn't try to disconnect them. So many people in the Fox Cities, when we think of trails, we think of them as recreation. We might make a plan to meet up with friends um, on a weekend and do the Loop the Lake Trail in Nina. And we have so many great um, assets in this community, opportunities. But you talk about trails as part of our transportation system and that they're not just for recreation. Why?
4: For me, this is a question of who, who do we have in mind when we imagine a bike rider? Recreational families, uh, folks riding for fitness, bikes as sort of a luxury amenity to entice millennials or home buyers into a community to raise our ranking and livability indexes. Cool. I like, think I'm in favor of all of that. But also, like, where is the part of that conversation where we invest in those same families buying cargo bikes to get their kids to school and making sure that they have safe routes? Uh, where in our imagination are folks who are going grocery shopping? Um, by bike or just getting to work and back or running errands, are we treating those transportation issues as important areas to invest in? It may not be the same populations of folks that are commuting by bike or grocery shopping by bike as are taking family bike rides along the river. There may be some overlap, but there are probably different populations. Maybe they're different by, by gender, maybe they're different by race, maybe they're different by class, but we ought to be thinking about those things. And we ought to be thinking about the different experiences that people have in different places. You mentioned um, a People for Bikes survey when we were chatting earlier. Um, and they sent a survey just a couple of days ago where they, they asked some questions about experiences with bike commuting. And one of the questions was, sort of, on a scale of one to five, how fearful are you of getting hit by a car? Really typical question, common concern for a lot of cyclists. But they also asked a question. They said, how, on a scale of one to five, how how fearful are you? How concerned are you with getting harassed by police when you're riding your bike? And I love that question because that, for me, says that this is an organization that's really thought about transportation equity and the experiences that marginalized communities might have on their bikes and when they're riding. There's an author um, whose work I, I really appreciate, um, named Melody Hoffman, and she does work in the the Twin Cities and in Milwaukee, um, and and she's talking to communities of color, black and brown communities, and the response she gets from riders is, "Look, I don't need a I don't need a helmet. I don't need like a free light from some organization. What I need is for the police to stop hassling me when I'm just trying to ride to work." And that is not an experience that a lot of white, middle-class cyclists have. But if we don't understand that experience, then we're missing this whole piece of encouraging more people to ride.
1: So Jason, the city of Appleton did um, a trail master plan in 2017, and part of that was an equity analysis. And one of the things they found in that analysis was that there was some disparity and um, who has access to trails in our community? Can you um, say a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, that was my read of the report and the the plan as well. That if if you think about a heat map of uh, household income in the city and a heat map of where the um, where the investments are in things like bike paths, those heat maps may not align very well, that those areas of the city with the most resources, the most financial resources often get the most uh, and the best bike and pedestrian resources. Now, part of that is who has influence. Um, over city decision makers, right? who Who has the time, who has the uh, the English language proficiency to come to city meetings to write letters to advocate for bike lanes? And so, for me, it comes down to what do we what do we do about this? Um, and this is where I, I really do appreciate that the the city's equity analysis and the trail master plan does specifically call out those with limited English language proficiency as an underserved community because of this this input issue, and what it asks the city to do is reach out and actively engage those communities rather than simply offer opportunities and hope the right people show up.
1: Yeah, we have to change our our way of thinking and our actions around some of these issues.
4: Right.
1: Um, so along those lines, what are some of the ways trails could be more accessible to all people in the Fox Valley
4: region? Yeah, I think that's a great question, um, and this is really the heart of it, right? It's about who feels, <clears throat> who feels like they belong on on bikes, um, who feels uh, safe on bikes. There's there's sort of this spectrum. Uh, folks who ride from fearless and confident riders over here that really don't need any bike infrastructure at all. They're happy to ride on the streets. Um, They'll point out um, that uh, bikes are vehicles in Wisconsin state law the same way a semi-truck is a vehicle in Wisconsin state law. Um, And so, right, I'm going to ride on the street as I am legally entitled to do. All the way over to the other end of the spectrum, uh, where there are folks who are interested in cycling more, but really concerned about their safety, concerned about um, how they'll be treated by other road users. And those are folks who would really benefit from protected and separated bike lanes. I think... A lot of the work in Fox, the Fox Cities is, is moving the scale of who is comfortable riding on the streets. And I want to keep pushing that, right? I would love to see more efforts to, to reach those folks who are interested but concerned and convince them that it's safe and comfortable and family-friendly to ride on the streets. So that's part of the answer to, to making cycling more accessible is having better infrastructure. If you make cycling easy, if you make cycling safe, then more people will do it. It's it's if you build it, they will come. And there's this there's this line I love. It's sort of dumb, uh, but I'm going to lay it on you anyway. Um, that you you can't make a plan for a bridge. You can't um, you can't gauge the interest in a bridge by how many people swim across a river. Um, you can't gauge how many people will ride based on how many people are willing to pedal down Wisconsin Avenue. You build the infrastructure. You do it because it's the right thing to do and then people will start doing it. You don't wait for people to start doing it and then decide five or 10 years from now that you'll build it. You, you make these infrastructure investments because it's the right thing to do. Um, there's this concept of eight to 80 cities. It's, it's referring to an age range that people should be able to ride around a city independently and safely from the time they're about eight to the time they're about 80. If you can design a city where eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds both feel comfortable walking and cycling on the streets, You've designed a sort of an accessible, livable city. Um, there's also this work that um, city planners and city officials need to do. One of them is making, right, really thinking about accessibility of meetings and, and outreach and whose voices are, are missing. That When you host public input sessions at uh, 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, who doesn't have access to that? Who doesn't, who doesn't feel like their voices are, right, are welcome? In a situation like that, but it's also about the um, the diversity of organizations, right? Who, if there's a there's a Hmong speaker who has some some thoughts on trails and access, right? Is there someone in in the office who can uh, who can speak to that person in in their their own language? Um, So it's about the the diversity of organizations. It's about the accessibility. Um, and the the active pursuit of missing voices in the decision-making process. And for me, it's really about building this infrastructure because it's the right thing to do um, and not as a response to, uh, to demand.
1: Thank you so much, Jason, for taking the time out to speak with us. Um, I can feel your passion for these issues and just really appreciate all the leadership that you provide to the community so that we can have an accessible community for
4: everyone. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for for having me and for for hosting this conversation and and the other folks you've talked to, I'm really excited to listen to those those conversations as well. Thanks so much.
1: So, Amy, I mentioned that we've continued to support work around exactly what Jason spoke about. One of our Community Vision Fund grants is supporting an AmeriCorps member, Kyle Armstrong, who is housed at the Boys and Girls Brigade in Nina, which has been a leader in this conversation about inclusion in the outdoors. And Kyle has been doing research this summer to better understand the relationships that marginalized populations in our area have with the outdoors, identify solutions, and just raise awareness about this issue. And we're excited to invite our listeners and anyone who's interested in environment, recreation, or inclusion to an event on Thursday, August 23rd, from 2 30 to 4 p.m. at Bubolt's Nature Preserve, when the inclusion in the outdoors report will be released and we will start to look forward to um, what can we as a community do to make the outdoors accessible to all. For more information on the research in the event, you can check out the inclusion in the outdoors link in our podcast notes.
0: Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode of Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the
1: Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region.